Awesome. Um, so this morning we're going to carry on the series that we've been doing um, about Easter. Um, so this is our third session today. And so just before we watch the um, the video, I've just got a couple of questions that um, I would like you to think about while you're watching the video. So the first one is, why was Jesus silent during his trial? And the second one is, what are the three groups of people that JD highlights in the session? So there's a couple of things to keep in mind as we watch the video. Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But still, he gave no answer, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Pilate said to the crowd, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. We've seen how Jesus was betrayed for us and forsaken for us. We come now to Jesus' trial itself where we're going to see Jesus accused for us. Matthew's account of Jesus' trial is written in a way to point out at least six injustices that occurred during the proceedings of this trial. First, they convened at night with no advance notice. That was illegal according to Jewish law. Second, the judges were clearly partial. The judges in this story also act as the prosecutors, which is inherently unjust. Third, the witnesses are revealed to be liars, contradicting each other and themselves. Yet their testimony was accepted. Fourth, the counter-testimonies from Jesus' defenders like, like Nicodemus, they were ignored. In Jewish law, this should have either caused the case to be thrown out or... It at least should have been delayed until evidence could be corroborated either way. This trial was purposely rushed because the decision had been made from the beginning that Jesus was guilty. Fifth, the sentencing was heavy-handed. Sixth, the procuring of Roman approval for execution was coerced. They basically blackmailed Pilate into giving them what they wanted, threatening him with riots if he didn't. It was not a fair and impartial judgment. The point that Matthew is making is the trial was clearly unjust. Yet Matthew tells us in chapter 27, verse 12, that Jesus did not open his mouth to respond with even a single word of complaint. Why? Well, what does it mean when somebody on trial refuses to respond? What are you conceding when you stand there silent? Guilt. 
Yet, wasn't Jesus sinless? Well, yeah, he was. Yet he stood there silently conceding guilt because behind the fingers of the priest and the leaders pointing at Jesus, Jesus saw God the Father pointing his finger of judgment at him, accusing Jesus of our sin, my sin, your sin. Let that sink in because it just might be the most important thing to understand about the cross. Jesus understood that he was not being tried and accused and condemned for his sin. He was being tried, accused, and condemned for ours, bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place, condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a savior. You know, if everything about you and I were known, all that we'd ever said, done, or thought, we would be hopelessly guilty. Jesus stood there on trial, accused of all of our sin by God the Father. And he stood there silently, accepting our guilt. Some of you have voices of condemnation right now, accusing you of sin, pointing out past mistakes or present shortcomings. And hey, some of what those voices say might be true. Maybe you are guilty of some of the dark things these voices accuse you of, but you need to understand that all of that was put on Jesus. All of it was something placed on him so that he could put it away forever and he could make you into a new man or new woman. That's what was happening in this trial. Jesus wasn't just dying for us. He was dying instead of us. In the courtroom that day, Matthew's gonna identify three groups of people who are supposed to represent three different responses to Jesus today. As you listen to this, I want you to consider if you identify with any of these three groups. First, we have the proud. This part was played by the Sanhedrin. Their story is in verse 18. They're the Jewish leaders. The Sanhedrin were powerful people. They were proud people. And Jesus' presence simply could not coexist with their pride. For them to hold on to their pride, Jesus had to go away. You see, Jesus taught that the Sanhedrin, despite their lofty status, were no better than any other sinner. They were as sinful as the tax collectors and prostitutes, and they needed to be forgiven and saved all the same. Religious people were often threatened by Jesus' teaching that were all hopelessly condemned sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And they're offended by his demand that we respond with absolute surrender, that we have no demands we can make of God, nothing that we can bring to the negotiating table, that there is nothing that he owes us. You see, when you understand that you're hopeless without God's radical gift of grace, when you understand you've got nothing that you can bring to the negotiating table, the only response is full and total and complete surrender. A lot of people use their accomplishments in religion to keep them from coming to a place of absolute surrender. They say, well, I'm a good person here and here and here. I don't need to throw myself down and, 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 and surrender at the, at the mercy of God. Listen, friend, right now, where you sit, you're in one of two categories. You're either fully surrendered to Jesus, hoping only in his grace, or you're in charge of your life, separated from him thinking that you've got negotiating things you can use with God in opposition to him like the Sanhedrin was in opposition to him. There is no third category, even if you're super religious. It's like my Sunday school teacher used to say, in every heart, there's a throne and a cross. If self is on the throne, then Jesus must be on the cross. But if Jesus is on the throne, well, then self has to be on the cross. Those are the only options. Let me ask, when Jesus points out your sin, and you feel his conviction in an area that's not surrendered to him, do you get defensive or do you bow in, in humble surrender before the cross? That's group one, the proud. Group two, I'll call the distracted. And it's represented by Pilate in Matthew 27, 22. You know, one of the biggest scandals of this trial is that it's clear that Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent 
Yet he consents to Jesus's execution anyway. In verse 24, Pilate literally washes his hands of the situation and he says, do with him what you will. He figured Jesus was innocent, but he was more concerned with appeasing the crowd than doing what was right. You see, historians tell us that leading up to this trial, Pilate had been on on pretty thin ice with Caesar. Jerusalem had undergone several riots under his watch, and Caesar had told Pilate, one more blow up and you're finished. So Pilate in this trial was more concerned with keeping his job than actually knowing who Jesus really was. Because if things got out of hand again in Jerusalem, well, then Pilate would have been fired. In fact, in one of the other gospel accounts, when Jesus tells Pilate that he was sent to testify to the truth, Pilate kind of shrugs his shoulders and says, truth, what is truth? What is truth means I don't have the luxury to think about questions like what truth is. I've got an empire to run. So Pilate never really takes a side. That's not rejection of Jesus. It's indifference to Jesus. Pilate represents the person too distracted by their circumstances, too engulfed in the cares of this life to really think about Jesus and make a bold decision on him. Again, these kind of people don't reject Jesus. They just never act on Jesus. Listen, distraction sends far more people to hell than disbelief ever did. How many of us have just never taken a side with Jesus because we're so distracted with what's going on at school or what people think about us or what's going on at work or what's going on in the family that we just... Feel like we don't have the luxury, we think, to really think about these things. Are you part of the distracted? So we got the proud, we have the distracted, and lastly, we have the spared. This part is played by Barabbas, a thief, a murderer, a public menace. Barabbas' story is found in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 27. Pilate offers the people a choice of one prisoner who can go free. It's a Passover tradition. And he lets them choose between Barabbas, the notorious thief, And Jesus, the people choose Barabbas. Now understand, Barabbas was a bad dude, and everybody knew that. He was guilty of domestic terrorism. He was a genuine threat to the safety of his people, and he had been rightfully sentenced to execution. Yet in this story, he, the guilty, got to walk free, and Jesus, the innocent, got executed in his place. I have to wonder if later that day, Barabbas peered out toward that hill where Jesus was dying and thought, that should have been me. Well, see, all of us who have trusted Jesus ought to see ourselves in Barabbas. He, Jesus, the innocent, is dying in my place so that I, the guilty, can walk free. Jesus did not just die for us. He died instead of us. By the way, Barabbas' name in Aramaic literally translates as son of a father. Bar, son of, Abbas, a dad. Talk about a generic name, but that's because he represents all of us. Every member of the human race has the option of letting Jesus die in their place like he did for Barabbas. So the question that Matthew is having us consider is, is which of these three groups do you find yourself in? Friend, don't let your pride keep you from Jesus. Recognize what his death says about how badly you need his grace and how your only option is to surrender fully to him. Don't be the distracted. The most important question you will ever consider is how you're gonna respond to Jesus' offer. Are you gonna receive it? Are you going to walk away? Stop trying to wash your hands of it. You can't. You have to decide. Like Pilate, to not decide is to decide. In Dante's Inferno, he he famously depicts Pilate in the seventh circle of hell still trying to wash his hands. It's impossible. Don't let that be you. Who do you say that he is? Finally, are you in the company of the spared? The good news is you can be because Jesus stood trial for you. He was accused of your sin, tried for them, then died for them, 
so that you can be released from them. Have you received him? If not, will you? Quite powerful, isn't it? So just a few thoughts. To say this trial was unfair is an understatement. In the video, JD pointed out six ways the trial was not only unjust, but also broke legal conventions. In many ways, Jesus' trial was illegal, but Jesus, who knew the law inside and out, never spoke out against the injustice being done to him. It's amazing, isn't it? Here's a question to consider. What is your reaction when someone wrongly accuses you of doing something? Most of us get defensive when someone tries to blame us for something. Imagine how you would react if you were on trial and your life hung in the balance. Jesus was silent because he was taking our place, willingly being accused of crimes he never committed so that we might walk free. Romans 5 verse 10 says, I mean that while we were God's enemies, he made friends with us through his son's death. And the fact that we are now God's friends makes it even more certain that he will save us through his son's life. According to these verses, who were we before Jesus died for us? Let's think about that for a moment. And what do you think God sees when he looks at you now? Even though we were God's enemies, he sent his son to stand in our place so that we could be reconciled and declared righteous. We were sinners, but now we are made right with God. Even though we are fully loved and forgiven, many of us continue to struggle with the guilt and shame of our sin. We think, surely God must regret forgiving someone like me. Let's have a look at Romans 8, 32 to 34. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Next one, Joel. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. 
Is there anything that you feel separates you from God? And what would it look like for you to confront or calm your doubts and fears with what Jesus has done and is doing for you? In those verses in Romans, Paul gives us powerful reasons why we can't be separated from God. He has already made the ultimate sacrifice for us. Jesus was accused in our place, so we cannot be condemned for sin. He was raised from the dead so that the effect of sin has been destroyed and he is interceding for us at God's throne when we are accused of sin. Jesus was not just accused for us, he was accused instead of us. He, the innocent, stepped into our place and took our guilt. It was unjust. It was unfair. It was scandalous. But he did it all for us. Jesus willingly stepped into our place so that we, the sinners, could be spared of guilt and God's wrath. And here's a a verse to memorise. Romans 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I'm just going to pray for us. Lord, we're just so grateful to you. Thank you for being accused for us. Lord, thank you for standing there silently in such an unjust and unfair trial because you were taking our guilt and our sin and our shame. Lord, I just pray that you will help us to really understand and to just have a revelation of what our place is with God the Father because of what Jesus has done. Lord, just give us revelation. Give us um, just the ability to lay everything at your feet and to accept um, that we are your sons and daughters and that you are for us, that you have a great plan for us and that you want to move in our lives every day. Lord, we just want to rely on you and trust in you with every part of our lives. We give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.